Definitely not the way to get yoked, okay? <laughs> if you want to get, uh, if you really want to get yoked, you're going to do something a lot different than that. We're, we're in the middle of a series called Yoked, where we are chatting about the unhealthy attachments we have to people, habits, and systems that are holding us back and maybe even ruining our lives. And so we're looking to the scripture, to God's word to help us avoid and maybe even walk away from some of these unhealthy attachments, from some of these things that we have yoked ourselves to. And we're seeing that in order to experience God's best in your life, you have to do things God's way. Because wrong alignments, assignments, and attachments will always cost you more than you wanted to pay and keep you longer than you wanted to stay. I'm going to say that again because that's kind of a big idea for this whole series. Wrong alignments, assignments, and attachments will always cost you more than you wanted to pay and keep you longer than you wanted to stay. When I was a freshman at Tech, me and several friends moved into a house together. I, I grew up here in Lubbock and uh, the rule is you either have to live at home and your parents kind of verify that you live at home here in Lubbock or you have to live in the dorms. And so my mom said, yes, he's living at home. And then I convinced her to let me move into a house with several friends. All right. So I, I'm moving into this house with a few friends. Uh, we, we, we live together. Um, I, I'm going to school or not going to school, if I'm being honest, you, you know, not waking up for all those, for those 8 a.m. classes, right, right skipping and, and sleeping in. And I had this one friend who liked to smoke weed and he smoked a lot of it. Some of you have been here for a while. You've heard me talk about this before, but he smoked a ton of weed. In fact, he would go and get my clothes out of my closet to do his bake in our driveway with, all right? He had this old 70s yellow VW van and him and his buds would get in this van and they'd pop the top and they'd get a good bake going, smoke coming out the top and everything, like just as you could possibly imagine and picture. So he uses my clothes and I'm like, bro, stop wearing my clothes to smoke your weed in. And I know some of you are like, Clayton, were you in the van with him? No, I promise, okay? I promise I was not in the van. I'm pretty honest about my, my struggles and the things that I've done in my life. That was not one of them, okay? So I wasn't there with him, but he would borrow my clothes because he didn't want to go to work in clothes that smelled like weed. So he would wear my clothes to smoke in and then he would put them back in my closet thinking I wouldn't know any difference. And I'm like, bro, these clothes reek of weed. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, bro, you know what I'm talking about. They reek of weed, stop wearing my clothes. Or if you do, at least go get them washed or dry cleaned or something before you put them back in my closet. He never did any of that. He just kept smoking weed in my clothes. Well, the landlord found out and told us, you can either stop smoking weed. And I'm like, I, I'm not doing it. Like, it doesn't matter. I don't know who's doing it. So, Whoever can stop smoking weed at this home can get rid of all of it or I'm going to throw you out. And so we're telling my friend, you know, my friend, stop, like stop doing it. Get rid of it. Go somewhere else and do it. Don't do it. If you're going to do it, don't do it here because you're about to get us all kicked out. Well, you know what he did? He kept doing it. He kept smoking. He kept him and his friends kept baking out in the driveway in that 1970s VW van with the top, the, the top of it popped up. And sure enough, the landlord threw us all out of that house and I had to move back in with my mom. All right. So what, what did I do though? I didn't do anything wrong and I still got thrown out of the house. Some of you grew up and your parents told you this. You may not have done the, you may not have been the one that was wrong. You may not have been the one that was actually guilty, but you're guilty by what? By association. That's right. And that happened to me. I didn't do anything wrong, but I was guilty. I paid the consequences as if I had been doing it myself. I was guilty 
by association, I still got in trouble. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 13. Uh, follow along on our app, the City Church Lubbock. You can download it in your app store. Just search City Church Lubbock. There's also a QR code on the back of your chair or pew, and you can uh, take a screenshot or a picture of that, and it'll take you to a, a link where you can download our app. Then click message notes, and then you can follow along with us. The verses and the points are all there. You can fill in the blank as we go and take notes during your time uh, to hear with us together. All right, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20, says something very similar to what your mom and dad told you growing up. Watch what it says. Walk with the wise and you'll become wise, but associate with fools and you're gonna get in trouble. If you walk with the wise, you'll become wise. And if you associate with fools, you're going to get in trouble. Now, some of you are probably like, I wish my kids were in here right now. I wish my students were in here right now hearing all of this, okay? Good news. All of our children's ministries and youth ministries cover the exact same thing that we do in here now. And so they're getting this exact same message. You walk with the wise, you'll become wise. You associate with fools, you get in trouble. You become like who you walk with, you always do. Whether you like it or not, you're always gonna become like whoever you're walking with. You could say it like this, your friends determine your future. And this is where you can fill in the blank on our app in the notes, your friends always determine your future. Whether you like it or not, if you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Your friends will always determine the direction and quality of your life. Whoever you're walking with will determine and will help shape the direction and quality of your life. So let me ask you this. Who's your inner circle? Who's your squad? Who's your we? Who is the group that you're walking with? And when you look at them, do you like what you see? Now, if they're sitting next to you, don't tell them, okay, unless it's positive, unless you're like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy about that, all right? But, but if you look at your circle, you look at your squad and you don't like what you're looking at and you think, I'm not too sure I want my life headed in that direction, then maybe it's time for a change. Because see, who your we is, your we, will determine whether you, college student, own college or college owns you. Adults, whether life owns you or you own life. Because your friends determine your future. Let, let, let me give you an example. Let me show you more about what I'm talking about. Most of us have heard of King David. Israel's probably most famous king. His son, King Solomon, who built the temple. Okay, God used them and blessed them and their leadership of the nation of Israel to grow Israel into a powerhouse with armies and money and wealth and power in spite of David and Solomon both making, both making terrible choices and decisions along the way, God still, by his mercy and grace, blessed them and their leadership and the nation of Israel under their leadership, sometimes and oftentimes in spite of them and not because of them. And one of the reasons God did that and by his mercy and grace continued to bless them was because they both had inner circles. They had squads. They had a we that they had in their lives that they listened to. In fact, we'll see more about it next week when David sinned against Bathsheba. 
Nathan, the prophet who was in his inner circle, comes in and points it out and confronts him in his sin. And David humbles himself and turns back to God. So he didn't always make the right choices, neither did Solomon, but they had people in their lives that they listened to. They had an inner circle that would confront them and help them get right back on the right path. And they would listen to those people even when they told them things they didn't want to hear. They had priests of God. They had prophets of God in their inner circle that they listened to and Solomon inherits some of those advisors and he keeps them. He inherits from David some of his own advisors, his inner circle advisors, priests, and prophets of God. And he listens to them. He inherits them. They're, they're older, they're wiser. They've got more experience than he does. And instead of rejecting his father's advice or his father's advisors, he actually humbles himself and he brings them into his inner circle and he listens to them. He realized he was young. Solomon did. And so he sought the advice of older, wiser, more experienced men. And it says this in the scripture that as a result, Solomon was greater in riches and in wisdom than all the other kings on earth. Not because Solomon always made the right choices. He didn't. He made some terrible decisions. But Solomon had a great inner circle. He had a great we that helped him lead the nation of Israel. But then Solomon has a son, his name is Rehoboam. And this is where everything kind of turns bad for the nation of Israel. So if you got your Bible, go to 1 Kings chapter 12. 1 Kings chapter 12. If you don't, again, you can follow along on the screen, follow along in our app. The verses are all there. Rehoboam is Solomon's son and he's up to become king now. They're gonna coronate him king over all Israel. Rehoboam's believing he's about to become king. They've all come together for this coronation and the people of Israel begin to ask Rehoboam to lighten the load and the burden that Solomon had put on them, mainly because they had been building the temple under Solomon's reign. Now that's done, that's completed. They've got more power, wealth and riches and wisdom than they've ever had before. Kings of the earth, queens of the earth are coming to Solomon asking for his advice. And so Rehoboam's looking to come to power. The people are a little tired and they ask for Rehoboam to lighten the load, to lighten the burden. Here were some of their complaints. They had felt like they were overtaxed, too many taxes. They were complaining about forced labor, about the centralization of policymaking, which reduced the tribes, the 12 tribes influence and authority. Yet the people still expected to make Rehoboam king. In verse four, it says this, first Kings chapter 12. It says, lighten the burden, lighten the load so that we may serve you. So the, the people have experienced these, these harsh conditions under Solomon's rule that they're, they're still loyal to the kingdom, to this one centralized, unified kingdom. Rehoboam's about to come to power. They're all gathering together to coronate him. And they're saying, hey, lighten the load, lighten the burden on, the, on, on us, and we will serve you. We will serve you. We, we want to serve you. We're about to make you king. And we want to serve you in the same way we serve Solomon, in the same way we've served David. Well, Rehoboam doesn't know what to do. In verse six, 1 Kings chapter 12, watch what begins to happen. Then King Rehoboam 
discussed the matter with these older men who had counseled his father, Solomon. So, so David had his inner circle, his counsel, his advisors that were advising him. Solomon inherits them. Solomon keeps some of them. Some of them are obviously dying off. Some of them are getting older. Solomon has his own team, his own circle. Now Rehoboam becomes king and these guys have been passed down to him. He's got some advisors that are older, wiser, and more experienced. What is your advice? He asks, so so we're starting off good. He's going to an inner circle that can help him who has wisdom for him. What, What is your advice? He asks, how should I answer these people? These older counselors replied, if you are willing to be a servant to these people today, if you are willing to be a servant, we're going to come back to this. If you're willing to be a servant, do you think that's what Rehoboam wanted to hear? No. They said, if you're willing to be a servant to these people today and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your loyal subjects. So the people are saying, lighten the load, lighten the burden, and we will always serve you. The advisors are saying, listen to them, lighten the load, lighten the burden. They will always be your loyal subjects. It's all, it will go well for you if you will lighten the load, lighten the burden. But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the older men and instead asked the opinion of some young men who had grown up with him and we're now his advisors. So, so he doesn't like what he hears. And so he goes to some of the young guys. Don't have experience. Probably haven't ever led anything before. Maybe play video games five days a week and then five hours a day, you know, seven days a week. And, you know, th- these are some of his young friends he's grown up with, that he's walked with. And so he goes to them. What should I do? Didn't like what I heard from the older guys. What do you think I should do? What is your advice? How should I answer these people who want me to lighten the burdens imposed by my father? You see, sometimes the inner circle that you need that will bring blessing and honor into your life is the circle that will tell you the things you don't wanna hear. A lot of us today are looking for that inner circle, that we, that squad that celebrates everything about us, that tells us what we wanna hear, that it will encourage us no matter what. And sometimes that's the circle that will bring pain, ruin and destruction into your life because they don't love you enough to tell you the truth. You need an inner circle, you need a squad, you need a we that loves you enough to tell you the truth in love, with grace and with mercy, but that will tell you the truth. Rehoboam rejects the advice of those who love him and care about him and want what's best for him. And instead he goes with the advice of the younger men. So let's see what happens. The young men replied, This is what you should tell those complainers who want a lighter burden. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Now I'm gonna stop here because some translators translate this verse a little bit differently in light of the context. This word right here, my little finger is an idiom. It's an expression. It could be slang. So if you're following me here and you get the context, you've got someone with little man syndrome overcompensating and they're trying to tell him, hey, you should go tell those guys, 
you know, I'm not going to say it in church, but you should go tell those guys, my little is thicker than my father's waist. Okay. That, that's, that's what many translators think is what's going on here. So, so you can see the, the, the pride and the arrogance here that's in Rehoboam and his young friends. Yes, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I'm going to beat you with scorpions. That's a cat of nine tails. Three days later, Jeroboam, who was a leader of some of these tribes of, of Israel that had gathered together and all the people returned to hear Rehoboam's decisions just as the, the king had ordered. But Rehoboam spoke harshly to the people for he rejected the advice of the older counselors and followed the counsel of his younger advisors. He told the people, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm gonna make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. You associate with fools, you get in trouble. It brings pain. It brings ruin. It brings destruction. The people of Israel rebel against Rehoboam. They follow Jeroboam. The kingdom, this united, prosperous, flourishing kingdom under David and under Solomon divides. The people of Israel rebel against Rehoboam. Rehoboam leads Judah, the nation of Judah, away from God into idol worship as he continues to follow the advice of his young friends. Later, Egypt attacks Jerusalem and all the treasure and wealth the kingdom had accumulated under David and Solomon is taken. Rehoboam rejected the advice of the wise. He didn't walk with the wise. He associated with fools and he got in trouble. And so whose fault is it? Was it his young friend's fault? Was it his advisor's? Was it his inner circle's fault? No, it was Rehoboam's fault. He was the one that listened to the fools who just told him what he wanted to hear. And as the famous singer and theologian Taylor Swift has said, the blame is on me because I knew you were trouble when you walked in. So shame on me, shame on me. I knew you were trouble. I knew you were trouble. So shame on me. The blame is on me. It's Rehoboam's fault. He associated with fools and he got in trouble. His friends, his inner circle brought him pain, ruin and destruction. And listen, yours could too. Yours could too. And if you've got an inner circle, if you've got a circle of friends, you're all headed the same direction and no one's ever willing to say the uncomfortable thing. No one's ever willing to, to speak the truth. No one's ever willing to confront anyone in your circle. You've got a big problem. You've got a big problem. Because you're in a circle of friends where no one loves each other enough or cares enough about one another to speak the truth in love. And that's a big problem. That is a recipe for ruin and destruction. You see, not only do your friends determine your future, in the case of David and Solomon, it brought them great blessing and honor, even in confrontation. It brought blessing and honor into their lives. Your friends determine your future, but, but even a little bit deeper than that, your we actually says a lot about you. Your we, 
who you surround yourself with says a lot about you, what's in your heart, what you want, what you desire and what you value. Your we says a lot about you. The, the, the people are coming to Rehoboam and they're saying, we want to serve you. If you will just lighten the load, if you will lighten the burden, we want to serve you. Our, our, our hearts are to serve you. The older advisors are saying, if you will just lighten the load, if you will just lighten the burden, these people will be your loyal subjects. That they all are wanting what's best for Rehoboam, but he rejects all of their advice because he doesn't want to serve them. He's so prideful and so arrogant. All he cares about is what is best for him. And that pride and that arrogance ruins his life and it ruins a nation. You see, your we says a lot about you. It says a lot about what's in your heart. And the people that Rehoboam surrounded himself with and the advice he took said a lot about what was in his own heart. He didn't want to serve. He wanted to be served. He didn't ever want to serve anyone else. In fact, he says, my weakness is stronger than my father's might. You hear the arrogance there? My weakness is stronger than my father's might. Did you know that's what the scripture says about God? When it, when it describes, if it was even possible, the, the weakness of God, it would be stronger than the strongest of us. That, that even the foolishness of God, as if that were a thing, would, would be much wiser than the wisest of men or women. It, it's, a, it's a phrase that's used for God, and Rehoboam says it of himself. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25, Paul references this idea about God when he says that the, the foolishness of God, as if it were a thing, is, is smarter or wiser than the, than the greatest wisdom that man has to offer. This is something that's said about God alone, and Rehoboam says it about himself. See, the arrogance that's in his circle of friends, that's in his we, is really just a reflection of what's in his heart. That's why he surrounded himself with that kind of people that would talk like that, that would act like that, that would think like that. It was really just a reflection of what was in his heart. You see, your circle is just going to bring out what's already inside of you. Your circle will always bring out what's already inside of you. So big idea today, your friends determine your future. Your friends determine your future. And that's not just true in this life, it's true in the next life. Did you know who you're friends with determines where you will spend eternity? Whether that's in the presence of God in heaven, one day on a new earth, a new city, a new body here forever, where all things are made new after Jesus returns or separated from God in a place called hell. Who you're friends with doesn't just determine this life, the direction and quality of this life, who you're friends with will determine the direction and quality of your next life. You see, a lot of people think that they're, they're buds with the big man upstairs. Maybe because they show up to church a few times a year, give lip service to God, sing the songs, maybe because their good deeds outweigh their bad deeds, they've been pretty good people. Uh, maybe even because they, they prayed a prayer like it was some sort of magical 
rhythm or rhyme that you pray or incantation that makes you say before God. I prayed the prayer. I prayed the sinner's prayer that's found nowhere in the Bible, by the way. I was baptized. I gave some money. I prayed some prayers. So, so surely that means that me and the big guy upstairs are right. We're friends. We're, we're, we're buds because my good deeds, even some of my Christian deeds outweigh my bad deeds, the bad things I did wrong. That would be a sadly mistaken way of thinking. According to what the Bible says. See, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. And you're forgiven of your sin when you give your life to Jesus. You're made right with God when you give your life to Jesus. Not when you pray some sort of magical sinner's prayer. That's, that's nowhere in the Bible. Not when you got baptized. Those aren't magic waters. We don't believe in magic. No, when you give your life to Jesus, your sin is forgiven, you're made right with God, and you can know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven. You see, who you're friends with determines the direction and quality of the next life, of your afterlife. Watch what Romans 5 says. Therefore, since we've been made right with God, made right in God's sight by faith, by works, no. Through baptism, no. If you recite a sinner's prayer when you were 10 or 11 years old, no. You're, you're made right with God in God's sight by faith. We have peace with God. You're not at peace with God if you're not a follower of Jesus. You're not buds with the big guy in the sky. You're, you're not friends with God if you've never given your life to Jesus. You're at war with God, and you'll see here in a second, you're his enemy. You're his enemy if you haven't given your life to his son, Jesus. You're in rebellion against God and his way of salvation, which is through his son. But we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us on the cross. When he died on that cross, he took all the wrath of God for your sin and my sin because the scripture says the wages of sin is death. There's a fine to be paid for your sin. It's the wrath of God poured out on you in hell for all of eternity. And Jesus took on the wrath of God when he died on the cross for your sin and my sin. So because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, he took the wrath of God for your sin upon himself. So that when you give your life to Jesus, you're hidden in Christ and Christ is in you. You're in Christ and Christ is in you. So the punishment is done, it's finished, and you receive Christ's perfect life. You receive the righteousness of Christ when you trust in Jesus and you give your life to Jesus. You put your faith in Jesus, your sin's forgiven, you're made right with God. You have peace with God because of what Jesus did for us. Not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into, watch this, this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, that's grace. You, gotta, you, you get this peace with God, you got a relationship with God. You've received the Holy Spirit of God living and dwelling inside of you. So, so you, you, you have this undeserved privilege and place and standing before God, this new relationship with God, but you didn't deserve it. You, you didn't earn it. It's undeserved. It's receiving what you did not earn, what you did not work for. It's undeserved. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing in God's glory one day. Verse six, when we were utterly helpless, 
That there was nothing that we could do. We were dead in our sin, Ephesians 2 says. You were utterly helpless to do anything to pacify the wrath of God against your sin. You could do nothing good to draw any favor from God. You were utterly helpless spiritually. You cannot, you could not save yourself. So when we were utterly helpless, Christ came. We don't go up to God, God came down to us. That's the gospel. The, the gospel's not you do in order to get up to God. The gospel of the scripture of the Lord Jesus Christ is that God came down to us to rescue us because we were helpless and we were dead in our sin. So at just the right time, Christ came down and died for us sinners in our place for our sin. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, for a good person, though some, someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. Some of us would say as parents, I would die for my kids. I, I would die for them. Spouses, some of us would say, well, I would die for my spouse, for, for, someone I, for someone I love, for an upright person, okay? But, watch this, but God showed his great, for us, got great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. We were his enemies. And God loved us so much, he demonstrated, he proved his love for his enemies by sending Jesus to die for us in our place for our sin. And since we've been made right with God and God's sight by the blood of Christ, how are you made right with God? By doing better and trying harder? No. You're made right with God through the blood of Jesus, not by doing better and trying harder. We've been made right with God in, the sight, in God's sight by the blood of Christ. He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. If you've given your life to Jesus, you will be saved from your sin, saved from the penalty of your sin. You'll be made right with God and you can know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven. You're going to see the glory of God, as Paul just said a second ago. For since our friendship with God was restored, so God created us to be in relationship, in fellowship with him, to be friends with him. But then Adam and Eve sinned and ever since then we're born into sin and we love sin and we rebel against God and we've turned away from God. And, and so that relationship, that friendship was broken and it's been forever broken until you give your life to Jesus, then it's restored. And now you're friends with God, you're enemies with God until you give your life to Jesus. Then you give your life to Jesus and you now have peace with God. And this relationship is restored by the death of Jesus while we were still his enemies we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us what? What is this word? Come on, let's all say it together. He's made us friends. Jesus has made us friends with God. If you've given your life to Jesus, your friends determine your future. And if you're friends with God because you've given your life to Jesus, then you will spend eternity with him. But if you haven't given your life to Jesus, then you're not friends with God. You're an enemy of God. And you will experience the penalty, the fine for your sin. You break man's law, you pay man's fine. You break God's law, you pay God's fine. And God's fine for sin is eternity separated from him in a place called hell. If you haven't given your life to Jesus, you're not friends with God. You're not friends with God because you got baptized. You're not friends with God because you 
recited some sort of magical words that someone told you, if you'll just say these words, if you'll just say them, then that'll make you right with God. It didn't. The only way you're friends with God is if you give in your life to Jesus. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, I wanna invite you, I wanna plead with you to do so today. Give your life to Jesus. Jump on our app, fill out our connect form and let us know that you're giving your life to Jesus today so that we can help you in this new relationship. Because you're friends with God now through your faith in Jesus. Your friends determine your future. Not just in this life, but in the next. But while we're here, because our friends determine our future, here, here's my, my challenge for some of us today. We need to change our playgrounds and playmates. We need to change where we play, where we do life, where we have fun, and we need to change our playmates who we're doing life with, who we're walking with, and who we're having fun with. Some of us need to change this. We need to change our playgrounds and playmates because our circle is bringing ruin and destruction into our lives. And when you look at your circle, you're maybe not too happy with what you see, not just because they might be bringing pain and ruin and destruction, but you just see no spiritual life there. They're not leading you to Jesus. They're actually leading you maybe into apathy. Maybe it's not into pain and ruin and destruction, but they're just leading you into apathy, spiritual apathy. And that's away from Christ. And so maybe some of us, maybe a lot of us need to change our playgrounds and playmates so that we're around people and with people who are helping us follow Jesus. Several years ago, Darby and I went to San Francisco for her birthday. And so we hung out and saw the sights and ate all the good food. And uh, one of the days we, we went over the Golden Gate Bridge into Muir Woods, just north of, of San Francisco and got to see some redwood trees. Now for a West Texas boy, that's pretty wild, right? I mean, trees at all are phenomenal and miracles, you know, but, but to see a redwood was unreal. These redwood trees can grow from anywhere to 100 to 300 feet high. Here's some pictures of some redwood trees. Here's one. You see this next one? These trees can grow to be 100, 300 feet high. I read about one redwood that's gotten to be over 350 feet tall. That's taller than a football field. And it's a tree that, that stands up in the air and somehow withstands the wind at that height and at that altitude. It, it withstands the, the storms that have surely come and blown against that tree over the years that it took it to get to 350 feet high. Now, you would think with trees that tall that the only way they could grow that tall and stand the test of time and stand the test of the storm as if their roots went way down deep into the ground. That's what you would assume. That's what I assume, but that's not true. Redwood trees roots go to about five or six feet deep. And so you would think, how, how is that possible? How could a tree that goes 300 feet in the air survive and stand the test of time and the storm with roots that only go five or six feet deep? Here's how they do it. They grow in what's called a family circle. You see these trees, how they're grouped together? 
they grow in a family circle. And, and so their roots may only grow five or six feet deep, but their roots begin to intermingle and intertwine and they will even fuse together and become one. And that's how a redwood grows that tall. And that's how it stands the test of time. That's how it stands up even in the storm because its roots have begun to intermingle and have begun to fuse together with other redwood trees. Listen, that's how God designed you to do this life. It's how God designed you to do the Christian life in a family circle with other followers of Jesus who are reading the scripture, who are praying together, who are worshiping together. They're following Jesus together and their roots are getting intermingled. And over time, those roots begin to fuse together. And like Paul said, we who are many begin to form one body. And that's how every last one of us were designed to do the Christian life. None of us are exempt from doing the Christian life in a family circle. And so some of us this morning, changing our playgrounds and playmates means getting more devoted to the family of God. It means circling up with some other followers of Jesus and letting your roots begin to intermingle and fuse together as you walk together as you walk with the wise, you'll become wise. Some of you are familiar with the HBO series, The Band of Brothers, which is a mini series about easy company from World War II. The, these men served together and fought together. They became like brothers and together they fought against evil and together they conquered adversity. They suffered together. They conquered their fears together as they served alongside one another in a band of brothers. You need a band of brothers. You need a band of sisters that you can follow Jesus with, that you can battle with, that you can battle sin with, that you can battle apathy with, that you can battle insignificant living with, that you can battle wasting your life with that you can battle with in times of suffering. I'm thankful for my band of brothers. That over the last 10 to 15 years, I've been in small groups with, studied the scripture with, I've served on church staffs with men like Kobe Colley and Mark Cortinas, Mark Tatum, Brandon Gwynn, Barry Alvis, Mitchell Anderson, Mike Bazaar, Rob Neal, Dwayne Youngberg, Coley Schaffner, Lex Gillian, Stuart Blaylock. These men and their wives have been brothers and sisters to Darby and I. They all helped start this church with us. They've supported us. They've been there for us. We have suffered together and we have rejoiced together. You need a band of brothers. You need a band of sisters. These relationships take time though. As I said, these relationships that I mentioned have been over the course of 10 to 15 years. They, they take time, they take commitment, they take effort, they take patience, forgiveness, and reconciliation after feelings have been hurt. These relationships take maturity, but they breed maturity. They take spiritual maturity, but they create spiritual maturity. 
And so our tendency is, for most of us, is to walk away from these kinds of relationships or to avoid them altogether because to start with, let's be honest, they're awkward. It starts out awkward. These kinds of relationships take time. They take effort. Sometimes there's pain, sometimes there's hurt feelings. And so we don't pursue these relationships. And then even when we do, the first sign of pain or discomfort or hurt, we turn away from these kinds of relationships. But the scripture is clear that it's in pursuing and embracing these relationships that you will experience life to the full, the life that you actually desire, that you will experience God's best for your life. And let me just say this, the reason, maybe, maybe the reason you're not experiencing more victory in your life, Maybe the reason why that setback was a bigger setback than it would have been. Maybe the reason your, your marriage or your parenting isn't as healthy or as flourishing as it should be. Maybe the reason the healing is taking longer than it should have is because you don't have a band of brothers and sisters you've been fighting with. And maybe because you have no one pushing back on you, telling you the truth in love. Maybe that's the reason why you talked and act the way you do sometimes. Maybe it's the reason why you think and believe some things that aren't right. Because you haven't been willing to pursue and embrace these kinds of relationships. You haven't circled up with other followers of Jesus. You haven't gone to battle with a band of brothers and sisters. And so today my challenge for you is change your playgrounds, change your playmates, circle up. If you wanna stand the test of time, if you wanna suffer through the storm, if you wanna see your life and your kids flourish, you need to circle up. And so maybe that's joining our church. We got a membership lunch right after this service. But for all of us, it probably means joining a city group or forming one for your family and friends. You can do that on our app. But it's time for us to circle up. We want every last person in our church in a family circle where they can do the Christian life together with other followers of Jesus. Let's pray. God, I pray right now through the Holy Spirit's power, you would move in our hearts and give us a desire and a resolve to be committed to these kinds of relationships. God, that will bring blessing and honor into our lives. God, I pray that it would be true of us that we walk with the wise and so we become wise. God, help us to humble ourselves and to pursue the kind of relationships with people that will love us enough to tell us the truth in love that won't just tell us what we wanna hear. And God, I pray for our church family that we would be a band of brothers and sisters that battle together. We battle to fight sin and apathy. We, we battle through suffering together. We battle so that we might follow Jesus and live a life that makes sense in light of eternity. Would you do this in us? In your name we pray, amen.